Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, it's a full hour of mass politics profs with analysis of local, national, and international politics. A new poll reveals immigration has replaced health care as Americans' top issue. Should Massachusetts adapt some of the House Democrats' anti-corruption bill statewide? And it's a big pool of presidential <laughs> candidate hopefuls and getting bigger. Who's running and who isn't? Later in the show... Mr. President, recent reports all confirm that your administration is working towards eliminating recovery dollars for Puerto Rico based on completely false and inaccurate information. Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Rosseo wants to meet with President Trump, who criticized the food assistance approved by Congress as excessive and unnecessary. Now joining me at the WGBH Satellite Studio at the Boston Public Library to bring us their insight and analysis, three of the contributors to the Mass Politics blog, Aaron O'Brien, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Welcome back, Aaron. It's great to be here. Glad to have you. Shannon Jenkins, Professor of Political Science at the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. Hello, Shannon. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having us. And making his under-the-radar debut, <laughs> Luis Jimenez, Assistant <laughs> Professor of Political Science at UMass Boston. Welcome, Luis. Hello. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, I'm so glad to have all of you. Let's start right off uh, with the immigration replacing health care as America's top issue. Uh, we are right in the throes of a government shutdown, and it has all kinds of tentacles. But I think that this says a lot about where Americans' thoughts, concerns, worries really are at this point in this new poll that says health care, which is incredibly important to Americans, has been replaced. Erin. I mean, it is within the margin of error. It was 38-36, so they're tied. <laughs> okay. it's just, just, I know right. I, okay. the, the boring political scientists had to do that. Um, so, but it, to your larger point, the fact that immigration has moved up so much when the evidence suggests like we, people aren't staying as long, there's much less immigration, actually, especially undocumented immigration, suggests that for whatever this shutdown Donald Trump might be paying in the short term, the fact that he's been able to frame immigration as a national alarm and individuals are responding, that's good for him heading into 2020, because that's in part what got him elected. And so while most people view the shutdown as a real mistake for Donald Trump and a problem for him politically, when voters are voting, especially his base is voting on immigration, he's doing well. 
So that's the funny thing about this, Shannon. All the other polls are really clear to say that most people are not in support of the wall and that the newer polls are also showing that they're very unhappy with how President Trump is addressing this. So immigration replacing health care is still pretty interesting. Sure, but I, I think some of the people who are saying immigration important are not just people on the right, but there are people on the left, too, who are concerned about issues like family separation. You know, here in Boston, someone was just picked up outside of the courthouse by ICE. So it is good for Trump that his base still sees that, but I also think it's a rising issue on the left for the exact opposite reasons mm. that it's a, an issue for the for those on the right, um, that people see it as hugely problematic, the things that are happening in our country to people. Louise? Yeah, she actually took the words right out of my mouth. Exactly that, because um, <clears throat> I think what's happening for a lot of people is people that might not have realized that this affected them personally, right? This, uh, with the Trump situation, they notice their neighbors, they notice people that go to school with their children and so on. And of course, there's a lot of, of uh, people now, uh, American citizens whose parents might have been taken or whose family might have been taken. And so I, I do think that this is becoming an issue. Not, I mean, for both, both, both sides, the, the right and the left. But if you notice, there's also polls that say that uh, right now, in terms of the support for immigration, they, mm -hmm. they have polls that ask about, you know, do you support increasing or whatever immigration? And the, it has been, it's the most popular it has ever been. Um, so it's some of that, I think. So just because people might think immigration is an issue is not necessarily because they want to restrict it. Oh, because so, my next question was going to be, is, this, is it proportionate, the interest or the higher interest or the greater interest, mm -hmm. proportionate to where it, you, know, you all might think mm -hmm. in terms of many issues that Americans have to consider as top issues? I haven't seen good data on it that mm. broke down those numbers by Democrat or Republican, but you're right, that's mm. the real empirical question. My, my working hypothesis, given what happened in 2016, that it's still uh, more motivating as a number one issue for Republicans, and that, to my colleagues' points, it is for some Democrats a number one, but it's uh, more likely to be lower in the ranks amongst Democrats who care more about health care. In income inequality, things like that. But that's a working hypothesis because in that, I didn't see the bivariate, the breakdowns there. Um, do you think that the, the shutdown crisis has made Americans more fixed in wherever they were in their consideration of, yes, we need comprehensive immigration policy or not? You know, most of the things that I've seen on that, I, to Aaron's point too, I haven't seen sort of partisan breakdowns mm -hmm. overall, but most of the anecdotal stuff that I've seen um, suggests particularly shutting down the government for this long, for this issue, does not seem to be popular among Democrats or independents <laughs> at all, but even among Republicans, um, because it's broadened the circle to Luis's point of people who are being injured, right? I mean, some people I think don't, don't maybe know an immigrant or don't work with an immigrant, right? But Lots of people know and work federal with federal workers. workers. Yep. They're spread yeah. all right. over the country. And so I think there's... And, and our lives are impacted by this. Right, if, right, Even if right. we hadn't thought about right. it. Right. So, for, so for many people, yeah. Yeah. right, their lives are, right. Right, are not right. yeah. necessarily maybe affected by yeah. immigration, but they are affected by the shutdown. And so when you're not affected by one thing and mm -hmm. it's affecting... You know what I mean? You're not yeah. affected really by immigration, but you can't do the things you're supposed to do. You're not getting your food stamps or you're not going to be here. Your right. neighbor's not getting a paycheck. That's really meaningful, and so I think it, it is, there are showing some signs, and this is, Trump has mm -hmm. maybe backed himself a little into a corner on this, that 
people don't want the government to be shut down over this right. issue. And there's no fear of visibility, mm. right? Uh, federal workers uh, can, can stand tall. Well, what the Trump administration has done on immigration has man, made many undocumented immigrants mm. retreat. They don't want to be public right. because there's a real fear factor. Mm -hmm. okay. So um, I'm wondering if this is the newest report, which is rather shocking about the numbers of migrant children separated, what, how you see that in the whole context of information that we were told really about that issue, but as also as a part of the whole immigration debate. If people are, don't remember, the initial numbers were 12,000, 14,000, so many were uh, reunited with their parents, and now the new report says many, many, many more children were separated from their parents, and there were no uh, attempts mm -hmm. to put them back together with their parents. So it's far worse than anybody had ever suggested. Mm -hmm. And of course, we also know there's the increasing problem or the, the ongoing problem of where to put these people who are separated. Yeah. You know, it's, it's frightening, uh, these numbers, but it doesn't surprise me because the system was put in place after 9-11 where this gigantic machinery, basically, uh, where it's easy to, get pe to lose people, so to speak. I mean, of course, we're talking about adults before, yeah, but, right. uh, but once the Trump administration decided to have this policy, the system itself was not, e even if it had been uh, with maybe better uh, planning or whatever, the system itself wasn't designed to deal with this kind of situation where they would do a good job of you know, maintaining, I mean, forget human rights and everything else, just in terms of like keeping the number. And mm -hmm. so it wouldn't surprise me, frankly, that if it was even worse than what we just heard, because I don't know that the administration even knows. There seems to be a lot mm -hmm. of gap in knowledge, even of what they'll admit. If you recall, at the very beginning, they specifically said that that wasn't even happening. Uh, they denied it, and then you know the denials yeah. kept changing over time. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was even worse than it, than what we just heard. I, I will go out on a limb though and say that I think the report will make no difference on public opinion or position on this ah. issue. Mm -hmm. If you are not morally Bold. appalled, if you are not morally <laughs> appalled that 12,000 mm. uh, children have been misplaced, then you're not going to be morally appalled, no matter how many. Mm. To be clear, I think one ought to be morally appalled at mm. far less a number than 12,000. Mm. But if you're not there by 12,000, mm. I don't think it's going to matter if it's however many more. It's a horrible thing. I don't want to seem like Minimize I'm condoning it, yes. this, right? right. right. But yeah. I don't think it's going to shift people's opinions on the issue really all that the, much. The question about that, though, is the visibility of it. I think that there's plenty of people in this country that would be very opposed, but they just don't really know. I don't know about that. I think it's pretty hard to miss. The new report, I don't think, has been very visible. No. Before that, it was all yeah. in the news, peeking at Aaron's notes, right? <laughs> it's not, it was buried, this story, yeah, I think, right. under a lot of the shutdown news. And so I just don't really think, I think people know, and I think you're either moved or you're not. Well, I think you've just uh, hit the nail on the head about one thing. There are so many pieces of this under the umbrella of mm -hmm. immigration crises or not right. that people's heads are swimming. Mm -hmm. And so for the moment right now, at least the focus can be uh, here are some workers who are being caught in a discussion that has nothing to do with them. Right. So we can't even focus on the other conversation, some feel, Absolutely. Um, because mm -hmm. we have to deal with this. And that's become now a crisis. Okay. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Here with me at the Boston Public Library, the satellite studio, are three of the mass politics profs, Aaron O'Brien of UMass Boston, Shannon Jenkins of UMass Dartmouth, and Luis Jimenez of UMass Boston. We're spending the full hour discussing local, national, and international politics. I want to turn, because many things will change, probably uh, by the time this airs, but 
We are in an uproar in Venezuela. The United States has taken the lead to accept and embrace the new president, um, effectively saying Maduro, the past president, is no longer, is an illegal president. Some other westernized countries have stepped up. Other countries have said, not so fast. Uh, people are in the streets. As we know, Venezuela has been suffering from a lot of lack of resources. And I can't figure out, as I'm sure many Americans, as they hear this and they know it's important, what is the impact for the U.S.? What is the impact of our embracing this 35-year-old guy, Guaido? Guaido. Guaido, yep. as the new president, who, by the way, is hiding right now uh, in yeah. a building. Well, so, I mean, as far as the U.S. goes, I don't think there's much of, a, of an impact right now. It doesn't, it, what, the worst thing that could happen in terms of the American perspective is that it would be embarrassing because basically uh, Maduro continues to have power. I mean, right now, you know, of course, Maduro has a de facto power. But is uh, that because the military are still yeah, backing it, him? Exactly, yes. exactly. So mm -hmm. if the military didn't back him, I mean, this, let me just say that the, the point of this, the point of, of countries not recognizing Maduro is that you have a pro you basically have a collective action problem with the military. The reason why Maduro is in power, I mean, clearly he's not popular, there's all kinds of problems, and so what you have is he's, he's just backed by the military. And the military, the reason why the military supports him is because they have the benefit of, they're basically controlling all sorts of things, uh, mm -hmm. corruption and otherwise. They have a lot of benefits. And so what this does in terms of, you know, what they're trying to do is to get the military to say, okay, you know, we're not going to support Maduro anymore. But in terms of the U.S., it really doesn't make much of a difference because, you know, it would be embarrassing. When it gets, if, it, you know, if Maduro continues in power, way it's complicated, though, is that Maduro basically cut uh, ties with the United States yeah. and then said these diplomats, are gonna, they have to leave. Right. So the U.S. says no. As a result of Gu Guaido being, uh, saying he's the new president. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, then, I mean, then the question is what happens then? Remember, they're not getting paid, by the way. Who's not getting paid? The diplomats, military? right? Oh, the, the diplomats, diplomats. Right, 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 right. They're not yeah, even okay. getting paid in the first place, right? Oh, that's right, because of the shutdown. Right. Yeah, so, okay. Right. So then yeah. now... I wow. Mean, so, yeah. they, so they're yeah. getting kicked out. I, I mean, that, that's the complicated part. Can you imagine what this would look like yeah. if now they get, like, hostages in, in Venezuela? Now we're talking a, a very complicated situation, but it's not... So, so what about the people saying, let's increase the sanctions? against Venezuela. Oh, okay, so I was going to get to that. So the problem with this, generally speaking, with the United States intervening in Venezuela, is that actually it's a terrible idea in terms of what, if what you want to do is regime change, the U.S. doesn't help much because <laughs> what it does is <laughs> Maduro... Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. For people that support regime change, and there's many people that support regime change that are not red, left, right, and whatever, but the U.S. is actually is not helpful. And I mean, they can help in terms of saying we don't recognize Maduro, but, but if they did anything else, if, for example, if they talk about military intervention, it would be helpful to Maduro because then Maduro can say, see, this is an American conspiracy, mm. uh, the imperialismo yanqui, they're mm. coming here, taking, you know... And so it, 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 that's not helpful. The problem is that, you know, the Trump administration, it doesn't seem that they particularly care about whatever, you know, what experts might say. Well, he's not alone, let's just point out. There are other yeah, countries that's true. Are, are backing Guaido as well, so that yes, we just need to yes. point that out. It, it, uh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's true. That's mm -hmm. true. Canada. It is, it Canada. is sort of a weird thing, though, yeah. to look at this from where Trump is coming from this. Mm -hmm. uh, because, right, the Russians are behind Maduro, yes, right? right? And right. he's kind of a strong man leader, which <laughs> right. is usually Trump's kind of guy, right? And I guess you could say that, you know, it's sort of populist, something he likes populism, uh -huh. but it's yeah. like, 
I was kind of surprised that the Trump administration came out against Maduro, given sort of um, Trump's history of, of admiration yeah. for strongman right. regimes in so many other places. That's true, but this is strictly ideological. I yeah. mean, Venezuela, yeah. I mean, he supports, he doesn't support any left-wing... Putin doesn't seem to have a problem well, right. with where he's coming from. Right. 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 We should be clear that in Venezuela, that for some time now, the people have been suffering from, when we say uh, lack yes. of resources, we mean no medicine, hyperinflation. Um, you know, hyperinflation, no money. I mean, it is really hard to survive there, and mm -hmm. it's a humanitarian crisis yes. already mm -hmm. before this happens. Right, so, so the countries yeah. you mentioned right. uh, that support this, mm -hmm. like Colombia, uh, Ecuador... Brazil. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brazil is right wing, but some of these other countries are not right wing. Yeah. You know, Canada. Yeah, Canada, of course. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, they support this in, in South America, especially because they have major problems. You know, how we're talking about the right. caravan in the U.S. Right. In Colombia, that's a day. Yeah, they give Venezuelans like that a day. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a huge problem. Um, and I mean, just hyperinflation alone. This I don't remember. The and there's oil at the center of this too. Just don't, don't let's not forget. You yeah, know, so. of course. Hence yeah. our interest. Well, no, no. Hence, <laughs> that's why I think people need to understand. Yeah. Like, why do we? You know, why is this getting so much attention right. here? So that we understand why a crisis over there and people in the streets and where, what mm -hmm. our president is doing in our name, you know, has many la layers mm -hmm. of meaning. Right. Uh, so Absolutely. there you go. Yeah. All right, well, let's come back to these shores and uh, talk about uh, the uh, House representatives, that's the Democrats who gain control of the House and then put together their agenda. That's and said, here's our agenda, here's what we want to go forward. Of course, mm -hmm. then the government shut down. Yes. So nobody's been able to go forward. But uh, Aaron, you've been looking at a lot of what's uh, part of their agenda, which is really focused on anti-corruption uh -huh. and how some of that might be applied here in Massachusetts. I mean, H.R. 1, um, from a small-D Democratic standpoint, is a really good piece of legislation if you care about corruption. And, you know, a lot of Bernie voters, a lot of Trump voters really care about corruption. So uh, on campaign finance, I'll just hit the highlights. It would be a six to one match if you won't take from big corporations. So if I give a dollar, it becomes six for under $200 donations. Repeal Citizens United, which we already did symbolically in Massachusetts. Um, more oversight on Facebook and Twitter. Ethics-wise, the president and VP would actually have to give their tax return from the last mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. And Congress couldn't pay out sexual harassment out of our money as opposed to their money. Mm -hmm. When it comes to voting, they're going to do or want to do automatic voter registration, which we did. Uh, get rid of gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering, and a holiday for federal workers to vote. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a really you know small-d democracy-enhancing package. And we know when small-d democracy... We, uh, legislation grows through, inequality declines. So for many of us who just study politics as a, uh, as a matter of structure, as a matter of inequality, as a matter of maintaining a democracy, mm -hmm. uh, it's a pretty nice piece of legislation that has absolutely no chance of going anywhere right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So that's the bad news, friends. Yeah. Um, and, and twofold. One, just structurally because of who, who controls the Senate and who's in the White House, but also the shutdown. Democrats were hoping that this could be an agenda-setting piece of legislation, that we would be talking about this, that regular folks would be talking about this and not the shutdown. So H.R. 1 gets introduced, and the shutdown occurs, and you know this really um, comprehensive package 
of legislative reforms doesn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, a number of individuals who think it's time to take it to the states. I happen to be one of them. Mm. Whereby Massachusetts, you know, has uh, a moderate Republican who's gone along with things like automatic voter registration. We know that states copy each other. They are not original. It's like high school, mm -hmm. right? Like, what are you wearing? I'm going to wear the same thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so uh, as an agenda setting function, I think it would be really uh, interesting and possible here, given who uh, Democratic control in the House and Senate, if we take something up like campaign finance reform with that six to one match that really mm. takes it out of corporate hands. So there's a small but growing group of folks in Massachusetts trying to make that happen at the state level so that it permeates to other states. Though, Shannon, uh, a lot of people would look at Massachusetts and say, we might follow you, but you people are moonbats. <laughs> so we're not going that far. <laughs> there's maybe a couple things on there we could look at, but you know, yeah. Massachusetts little blue island That's on right. itself. To follow up on what Aaron said, I mean, there's no chance of this passing on the, I mean, even if it were to pass, it would surely be challenged in the courts. And our current court system, and, and so many levels, uh, so many aspects of this, from campaign finance to districting and all that sort of stuff, um, our current courts would not let the federal government do that. They would push it back to the states. It has to be done in the states. Um, the other thing I would say is that, you know, people outside of Massachusetts think we're so progressive and blue, and we are blue, but we are not particularly progressive. Um, and we were here a while back. And we're we not were, royal blue. No, no. We, were, we were talking <laughs> about, about the Secretary of State race. And I was, I was frankly quite happy to see Galvin have some competition because we have been a laggard on extending yes. voting rights. Um, and I think it's, quite frankly, I think it's shameful mm -hmm. um, how poor our record has been on this issue. Um, part of it is, I think, because the state legislature likes not exactly. having any competition. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, while I think it was grand that Ayanna Presley, you know, um, mm -hmm. introduced some, some challenge in here, I'd love to see, um, and I'm probably not going to get love letters from my uh, <laughs> state uh, legislative delegation on this, but I think we need more competition. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's hard to get sort of the entrenched politicians to mm -hmm. vote to change the system because the system is working for right. them. They got yeah. elected under it. And yeah. Right. Let's be very yeah. clear, Democrats are at fault here. Yeah. Right. This yeah. isn't in I mean, Massachusetts. Yeah. In Massachusetts, yes. Yes. Right. Yes. to be clear. You mm -hmm. know, listen, I don't think if the Republicans controlled the state Senate that they'd be looking to change either. But you know what? They haven't had their levers on legislative power in a very long time time. Mm -hmm. So Massachusetts votes correctly if you're a Democrat, mm -hmm. but they're not a policy leader on many progressive. Right. It, it, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Right? It, you know, like, we're, um, we're definitely, there was a recent study, uh, it was presented. Uh, but I mean on like health care, transgender we, rights, we are out there. No, no, but we're on not. Voter. We're not. If you look at the, if you look at, the, they divided sort of the states into policy uh -huh. leaders. And there's, we're not in the center of the network of liberal policy, uh, sort mm -hmm. of policy learning, policy diffusion. Mm -hmm. Um, uh -huh. States like California are much Diffusion more. Yeah, like yeah. people are not learning from us anymore. And if mm. you look back, I mean, maybe we were like uh, healthcare reform. We mm. were the healthcare reform right. people, and even Massachusetts education reform, mm -hmm. right? That was really pathbreaking. Abolition. What's, what's <laughs> the, you're really going back. What's the last thing that you can name that we were like, whoa, we came up with this new idea, and everyone's following us? And I would like yeah, to point out that whether or not he acknowledges it that healthcare reform started under Republican it government. It did, right, yeah. <laughs> but that's the last big one that you can really point to here, where we were a true sort of progressive leader on these, this policy issue. So, Louise, would you agree none of this is ever going anywhere and, and Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts will not be royal blue? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can agree on the first one, absolutely. There's no, I mean, Mitch McConnell has already said that 
you know, he has attacked it actually already. Yeah. yeah. So there's no way it's passing in the Senate. But even if they passed it, it, it let's imagine a scenario in uh, 2020 where, you know, the Democrats get the Senate and the presidency, which is, of course, not easy, but let's say they did. Even then, you, they'd have to get rid of the filibuster. Mm. And who knows which? if, I mean, they might, I don't know. But uh, it's unlikely, at least until 2020. But the point about the states is absolutely critical because. Uh, the thing is that this is going to be, I mean, actually, H.R. 1 is a constitutional amendment. Part of it would be <laughs> a constitutional amendment. Uh, so, this, you know, this has, to, this has to be done at the state level. So, it might as well start in Massachusetts. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't see why that would not be I'm not going to hold my breath. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I would love for it to start here. I'm not going to hold my breath, though. I, I, I think I we should. I will point out yes. that uh, we have a couple of local people who are appointed to the committee that addresses anti-corruption uh, congressman, mm -hmm. congresswoman Ayanna Presley being mm -hmm. one of them. So Did you see her meme? She has the receipts. Oh, it's a great. I mean, check your I'm Twitter. Sure it's she very good. She's, um, she's looking for, she's looking for yeah. tax reforms for sure. But I'm like, I I've got the receipts. I know. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley and here with me at the Boston Public Library, our satellite studio, three of the mass politics pops, Aaron O'Brien of UMass Boston, Shannon Jenkins of UMass Dartmouth and Luis Jimenez of UMass Boston. We're dedicating this entire hour to local, national, and international politics. Let's start the conversation about people running for 2020. <laughs> All of us. Uh, <laughs> we'll probably end up taking a break and coming back to it, but just let's just start there. First of all, are you surprised there's so many so early? Anybody? So early, yes. Um, but yeah. I mean, everyone's saying it's because with so many, if you want good people, you got to get out in front mm -hmm. of it. I'm not surprised by so many. I mean, this is a pretty historical election. And if you're a Democrat, you think it's not that you think things are bad. You think things are really bad. Right. Um, so I, I'm surprised by the timeline, but not the numbers. OK. But also, you know, it's open. There's no obvious leader in the Democratic Party. Mm. And the other thing is Trump kind of showed that, you know, just about anyone could do it. I mean, could, you know, I mean, people okay. that, I, I mean, people, people might, that might not think they could run, mm -hmm. you know, now think, oh, I could be like Trump. So why not? I, I don't mean necessarily in policies, obviously, but yes. just in, in style or whatever. You mean in terms of lack of experience? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. or, or lack of traditional experience. Right. Traditional, say, right? yes. Yeah, we should say that. Jim. Yeah. I, I mean, I think people think that I think they're wrong about that, right? I mean, I think mm -hmm. Trump had the particular sort of visibility mm -hmm. that comes with celebrity. I think you're right they're getting that message. I think they're wrong in their interpretation <laughs> of where American voters are. But I also think for people like that, we were talking about the mayor of South Bend, who we all had to look up his name, right? The only way you <laughs> you're going to get some traction is if you're like first out of the gate. No, it's not first, but but close well, to first. Elizabeth Warren was first out of right. the gate. Well, yes, and she was. she's she's the first big name, but yes. most of the other people that are coming out of the gate are not big names mm -hmm. because once you get up into the 20, right, thinking about to the Republicans last time around, right, mm -hmm. you don't make it up to the big person stage, right? So <laughs> yeah. you've got to get your name out there yeah. early to have a chance to get onto mm -hmm. the big person stage on these debates. <laughs> and I think that's what a lot of these people are trying to do to get their name out of there early. So everyone's saying, how do you pronounce that guy's name? Exactly. Well, it's, it's Pete now, but a judge, yeah. just for people who want to yeah. know. Mayor of South Bend, Indiana. We should put some names out here so people know mm -hmm. who's in the race. He's the latest one to come forward. 
I have to say, mayor of South Bend, Indiana? Really? I, I'm just kind of surprised. I'm not feeling it. Come on. <laughs> like, come on. You're I jumping mean, the maybe, line. Maybe he's great, but okay. Uh, then uh, <laughs> San Antonio uh, mayor and Obama administration official Julian Castro. Now, everybody thought about him last go around. Right. There was a lot of buzz, and, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm finding it interesting that I don't think many people know who he is anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, is that a sense that you all have? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. No? Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't sense the excitement about him. And there's 20-odd candidates, Democrats have to say how they really feel about these people. And I've been struck by the two long extended interviews I've heard from him. He has not been able to articulate why he's running. And he's someone who four years ago, six years yeah. ago, there was such excitement around, but it, it's like he peaked. Yeah, yeah it's I weird. Agree. I remember yeah. his speech, but... I mean, I have to say, I do have a soft spot uh -huh. because he spoke in Spanish and he yeah. had, you know. Oh, yeah. But, That's uh, why. It was I mean, like, that, come on, that was, be yeah. better. Yeah, but you know what? I think also it's just these things about cycles. And think about the people that we've met since then, so to speak. You yes. know, the Betos right. of the world, right. the mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams of the world, yeah. who, who mm -hmm. got people really excited. Mm -hmm. Although I would not say, though, that to your mm -hmm. point that he has peaked. Uh, I, I'm not disagreeing completely, but I think it's so wide open that I wouldn't be necessarily. I don't think you can yeah. you know, get rid of anybody except yeah, maybe exactly. Pete Buttigieg. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just want to mention yeah. some other people. Uh, from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know if a lot of people know who she is. Uh, Maryland Representative John Delaney. He's a former West Virginia State Senator Richard, you said Ojeda, yes, and, and an entrepreneur named Andrew Yang. These people are not familiar to me at all, doesn't mean anything, it's just, you know, you'd think you'd hear them. Um, Elizabeth Warren, as we've mentioned, from Massachusetts, and then of course, California Senator Kamala Harris, and we have Kristen Gillibrand as well. Now, Kamala, within 24 hours of announcing, raised $1.5 million from 38,000 donors. So yep. does that put her on the big stage already? Yeah, yeah. I think Warren and Harris and, and Gillibrand are, are on the big, the big person stage. Uh -huh. We don't call it the big boy stage. No, that's, big right. Person stage. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but, I, but I think for these other candidates, the real challenge is, right, is name and money. And, yep. and particularly, if you're going to run as sort of an outsider candidate, your money's got to come from yep. those small donations yeah. like Harris is getting. Otherwise, you become part of the corporate sort of mm -hmm. money machine. And so... If there's not real excitement for you, it's hard to understand how uh -huh. you get off of that, the, the little, yeah. per, I, I don't know how you say it, the second, second stage, <laughs> second right? Second table. Right? Yeah. Right? The kids table. Right. The kids table, that's <laughs> right. what we're calling it. Yeah, that's what they were calling um, it And before. so I think a lot of these other people that we're talking about have that real problem. They don't have the excitement that will generate small mm -hmm. donations. Um, if you then have to turn to big donations, yep. then you're in trouble in a Democratic primary. Mm -hmm. um, and so for a lot of these candidates, they may be good or interesting, but I think they're going to have a hard time breaking through in yeah. what's going to be a really crowded field, because we've got, looking at Erin's notes, she's got all sorts of names that are sitting <laughs> yeah. on the sidelines. The four Bs. Yeah, that if, if they start coming out, right, that, that I think it's going to yeah. suck all the oxygen out from these smaller I mean, Yeah, candidates. we haven't gotten decisions from Bernie, Biden, Booker, Brown. I mean, those are four huge names. So if you're a lesser tier candidate, it actually helps you if you can raise money from small dollar donors. Because right. the Democratic Party, the primary, has moved left. Yeah. It, Hillary took money from corporations, and it wasn't a big deal. It was um, business as usual. Now you're in trouble if you do that. And I think Camilla Harris is... Kamala. Uh, Kamala. I do that all the time. <laughs> um, but uh, Harris. Yeah. Uh, but I do do that all the time. <laughs> her ability to raise that much money, and I think it's really good for her that they're already starting to question her prosecutorial... 
record yes. because she's got an answer for that. And so by coming out this early, you can get rid of some of those issues early on. And thus far, I think she's been pretty successful. But, see, but let me just ask this question. Doesn't it mean if I'm a donor, I just wait? Because if you're the first, and I don't even know some of these people, and now you're telling me that there's a guess about four or five other folks, mm -hmm. why would I do give anything right now? I just wait to see. And listen, up, I, my know? hypothesis with all this is of those seven we named as the top tier right mm -hmm. now, 95, exact number, 95% of Democrats would be happy with any of them. Mm. Because Democrats now know that Donald Trump can win. And so it, it's not a hypothetical, a good, the way it was, was with Hillary and Bernie. People are going to fall in line because they've seen what happens if they don't. Mm. Well, uh, I, I just want to point out one other thing, though. There is one benefit to doing this early for the three big ones, uh -huh. uh, uh, Warren, Harris, and Gillibrand is that they're getting people on the ground. I mean, hiring right. people yep. right. uh, in Iowa especially, but also in New Hampshire and, you know, like Elizabeth Warren was mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico right. and all these and, places. And South Carolina. Yeah, yep. she was in South yeah, Carolina. Yeah. So, I mean, getting, just getting people on the ground, like mm -hmm. hiring people so that you do have the advantage. And, and I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm not sure what Biden is doing. Uh, Let it go. I mean, my thought. Well, I, I mean, and I had a conversation with somebody who was a huge fundraiser this summer who was on board with him. Yeah. So I assume he's not quiet, and mm -hmm. I assume that huge fundraiser who has a documented track record was, you know, pulling in some cash. But mm -hmm. now all of these people that we just mentioned yes. were not in the race. Right, right. So I don't know what, what that does. Um, I personally think, you know, there are moments, there are cycles, as you were talking about with Julian yeah. Castro, and I think Joe Biden's cycle is come and gone. Yes, exactly. Uh, but that's just my personal opinion. Sherrod Brown get... is Joe Biden uh, in an updated way that people are more likely to respond right. to that true progressives in the party would like. And he's from Ohio, yes. and people uh, have not, he hasn't announced yet, but, right. you know, Thinking. it's one of those people. Now, you raised another issue that we should talk about which, that I thought was an interesting article, which is that uh, Democrats have to, uh, the announced candidates anyway, have to go clean up stuff, some of them, to sort of come to the middle. You're talking about there being uh, most of them progressive, progressive, left, left, left. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of stuff that they said and did in the past that doesn't comport with the line <laughs> yeah. that, let, let's say, if you were doing the Bernie Sanders test, yep. that would not be, right. they, would not, they would not pass the test. Yes. So yeah. then, you know, they have to deal with that now and answer it. So you're saying Kamala has started mm -hmm. to answer it. Other people are going to have to do the same. That's one thing. The second thing is there are a very small number, because of just racism, uh, of uh, yeah. political operatives yes. who, at a high level for these people to hire. Uh, ex but they cannot be out in front talking about intersectionality, <laughs> let's all be in the pool together, and your staff is all white. Right. That cannot happen. Yeah. So to that end, Elizabeth Warren grabbed off somebody <laughs> right quick because yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. her chief of staff is Ann Reed, I believe is her name, mm -hmm. and she's got some other people mm -hmm. also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, 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 I'm putting that on the table so that when yep. we come back from this break, you all can answer yeah. that, because I'm real curious about what you think about it. So coming up, even her opponents admit Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a social media whiz. Now, Congress's youngest representative is sharing her expertise with her colleagues. That and more, as we said, with the Mass Politics Profs, next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.
I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. We're devoting the entire hour of our show to local and national politics and international. Three of the Mass Politics Profs are here at the Satellite Studio at the Boston Public Library to help us break down the latest political news. They are Aaron O'Brien, Associate Professor of Political Science at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, Shannon Jenkins, Professor of Political Science at University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth, and Louise Jimenez, Assistant Professor of Political Science at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. All three of them are contributors to the Mass Politics Profs blog. Let's jump right back into our conversation. When I left you, <laughs> I wanted to hear your comments about um, hiring diverse staff mm -hmm. and cleaning up stuff you said in the past and how you do that, or what do you think is going to happen? I mean, I think you're absolutely right that there are a limited number of experienced staffers who are, have diverse backgrounds that are women, that are of minority, ethnic or racial minorities, um, in part because of you know, systematic racism and networks, um, but also because there's tied into this, uh, right, the, the field, women and, and other people tend to be less interested in it sometimes, like I think we see that among our students, mm -hmm. um, because their interest declines for a variety of reasons. And so it's going to be hard if you're not hiring right now to find good people who have lots of experience because there's so few of them. There's lots of good people out there. They right. may be less experienced. Um, and so being early, to Louise's points, give you a huge advantage on that mm -hmm. because um, they're, they're going to be they're going to be uh, snapped up, um, mm -hmm. and so uh, if you're if you're late, and particularly if you're one of the bees, right? You're a white man, and now there's no diverse right campaign managers or fundraisers to hire. That you're going to have a real problem in a Democratic mm -hmm. primary. Louise, can you afford if you're a Democratic candidate to say I couldn't find any? <laughs> Just asking. Nope. No, I, I don't think you can. And especially if you're somebody like uh, you, you now can't run. No. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, and I mean, some people are going to have more problems than others. Like Biden, for instance, if he yeah. said something like that, I mean, and, right. and and actually to your point earlier about you know hiding or not hiding, but cleaning your past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Joe Biden's going to have a real problem. Yeah. I mean, he's already having problems. Uh -huh. These things are popping up. Right. But uh, to the issue of hiring diverse staff. Not just, it's not just, of course, a matter of visibility where you're signaling to the Democratic electorate that you are truly, you know, you mean what you say and so on. But especially with the Latino electorate, which is what I'm most familiar with, um, you, you know, you can't appeal to some of these voters the same way that you can to, with others, right? Beto found out, uh, I mean, yes. he, he did great. He mm -hmm. did fantastic in Texas for a Democrat, but he, he had, even he had trouble, mm -hmm. you know? And part of it is that many of these Latino voters are not as attuned or not attuned to the same messages that you know other parts of the electorate are and so you need people that can tap into that right and so that if you can find somebody like that that really gives you a huge advantage uh with the with the party but no you can't just say <laughs> i'm just asking the question <laughs> to play devil's advocate a bit of course you need a diverse staff and i totally agree with what shannon was saying that you you also want someone who's run a national campaign yeah, before right. but hillary clinton locked up all the democratic all-stars and we saw how that went donald trump paid next to no one <laughs> and won and so i I think one potential lesson from that is you can go with someone who's a little bit less experienced, like somebody who's maybe done great statewide work in Texas with Latino and Latino reach out, or reaching out and things like that. The best and the brightest uh, aren't necessarily the ones that you know and get paid. I mean, we saw that with Obama, mm -hmm. right? There, there's something to, let me just get some really good, smart, diverse people.
people and roll with it. Um, it, it worked for Obama and to not hiring anyone really <laughs> worked for Trump. So top tier, we can go farther down. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just point out that one of the, I don't want to relitigate 2016, but one of the <laughs> issues that came forward in that campaign though with regard to Hillary Clinton's campaign um, a lot of complaining that there was not enough community interaction yep. based, you know, that mm -hmm. some of it was too top down, mm -hmm. that those people, to your point about Beto mm -hmm. and the Latino community in Texas, not enough connect, you know, mm -hmm. connective tissue with people who really knew the community. And that was uh, a not good uh, situation. Now, let me move on and say, I'm very interested in this uh, new organization, well, it was an old organization, but it's putting emphasis on the voices of Indian American voters. And by that, we do not mean Native American, really South Asian is what we're talking about. Communities that have felt that in some ways they've been overlooked. But as many people have pointed out, this is the growing group in terms of cohort, in terms of racial group out there. So these are voters that maybe haven't been given the attention they need. This is an organization that is uh, dedicated to bringing that forward and saying, you better be paying attention to us and making sure that you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're speaking to our issues. What do y'all think about this? This yeah, seems like so, a new... so I grew up in the, the, the article that you had shared with us is from a group that's based out of Chicago. And I, I, have, I grew up in the Chicago area. I did my graduate training in the Chicago area. And it um, started in Chicago, but now in the suburbs, particularly in the northern suburbs where I grew up, um, uh, Indian Americans are becoming a really organized political group. I know in my community they've become involved in a lot of school board and local politics, um, particularly because education tends to be a very important um, issue to Indian voters. And while I would say they're a more conservative group among sort of a, many of the other racial and ethnic minorities, um, that's not to say they're, they're overwhelmingly conservative, but I think there are things that they value. Um, and in that press release they talked about education, marriage, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, that um, if the Republicans made efforts, these voters could be um, attracted to the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Whether the Republican Party is willing to make that yeah. sort of effort, um, and you know, we talked about immigration in the front of this, right? That's not going to appeal, I think, very much to Indian voters. So the Republican Party has got to figure out whether they want to try to court these voters, because I think they could if they tried. And small business. They're out in front with yep. a lot of small business mm -hmm. concerns and issues, which that's uh, apropos of any community in the mm -hmm. country. So I see this as a very interesting move. And again, this is early on alerting everybody, all the candidates, hey, mm -hmm. don't overlook us. Right. You know. right. And in the oh. era of such tight elections, mm -hmm. small, seemingly small, comparatively small demographic right. groups really matter. And you know, we were talking um, before we came aired that it's hard to get good data on this group because you know when you look at like they're grouped with Japanese Americans, Korean Americans when it comes to the census and things like that. So I, I think it's exciting for a just from a small d mobilization, but it also just sort of unpack these categories that in the American context we group wildly different histories, I should say, into one mega group that right. makes no that's sense that, at all. That's right. Right. From an ethnic standpoint, right. we mentioned earlier that Puerto Rican Governor Ricardo Rosseo is very upset about the possibility of losing some congressionally approved food assistance. Again, Puerto Rico is still not recovered. They need the food assistance. $600 million was uh, assigned by Congress, and now the president is saying that's excessive and unnecessary. In the past, I think the governor was quite circumspect, trying to be respectful of the okay. president, to welcome whatever. But he's really upset, mm -hmm. as many others are. 
as he should be. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is not, I don't think, controversial to say. It's factual. Donald Trump has doubled down on, pardon my mouth, but sort of just screwing Puerto Rico over. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what's going on. And he's doubled down on it in a way that I think he knows it pays some electoral benefit to him, which mm. is a really disgusting truth of U.S. American politics. Um, do you, and again, a number of people believe that he doesn't really understand that Puerto Ricans are, you know, Americans. <laughs> right. I don't think right. he cares um, if he knew yeah. or not. And this, okay. I mean, the actions speak that That's way to me. That's possible. And I just want to point out one other thing. Puerto Rico is, uh, uh, depends heavily on federal aid. Yep. So the shutdown yes. is affecting right. them desperately. So I think the governor, I mean, already, you know, they're, they're, it's not just the hurricane mm -hmm. and everything else, but everything together. And so not surprisingly, the governor is coming out. Yeah, well, it brings up sort of the everything together broader point. I mean, I think it's the huge and sort of complicated politics of, of we still have territories, right? right. Like, and, and what does that mean mm -hmm. in this day and age? And I know even sort of Puerto Ricans are split about yes. their political future. But on the other hand, right, like it's 2019, <laughs> yes, right? right? And like these people don't have representation, right? I mean, I like, think Shannon's making a statehood argument. Right, yeah, DC, well, Puerto right, Rico, but I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it's, it gets lost under sort of this debate about Puerto Rico specifically and what's going on. But there's a Aside from just this aid package, there's there's a whole slew of laws that yeah. treat uh, mm -hmm. Puerto Rico and among the other territories unfairly and just put them in this mm -hmm. weird position um, that we don't want to talk about in part because if we make them states, they would probably be Democratic and right. then the Republicans yeah. would be in trouble. So, right. But in a small d Democratic, mm -hmm. right, it's a hugely problematic that there are these groups of people who are in this suspended political state, at although, least in my book. Yes, although to be fair, the Puerto Ricans themselves, as Aaron mentioned, are ambivalent about it. Right. I, I, I didn't say that. That was me. I didn't yeah, say yeah, that. Okay. They're divided on yeah, where they yeah. want to go. For but. a long time, you know, they right. voted against statehood right. for a while. But mm -hmm. I th actually today, I think in 2019, they, I don't know, I haven't seen any poll recently, mm -hmm. but my guess is they that are. they will yeah. probably support statehood now. Yeah. Uh -huh. right. Um, right. Well, I'd just like to point one thing mm -hmm. out that I think every politician should pay attention to, and apparently Elizabeth Warren has, and she just made her visit. If um, uh, Puerto Ricans on the, uh, in the territory come to the United States to live, they may vote here. Yep. Yes. They cannot vote in right, Puerto right. Rico, correct. but they can vote here. Because they're um, U.S. citizens. And they correct. have family that, that can vote correct. here. Right. That is correct. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why Governor Scott, or former Governor Scott of Florida, was mm -hmm. very active during yes. the campaign to make sure that he had met the needs of people who were coming. They, mm -hmm. they also vote in the primary, you know. That's right. And that's if right. they win, right. it, you know, yeah. can you imagine if Warren won the primary of Puerto Rico? I mean, that would be a huge... There you uh, go. And, and I mean, the, the number of votes is not that many, but That's it such would, a good point. It it's just from, yeah, from a cascading, the, when you've got this many quality candidates in the Democratic primary, of course, there's always an agenda setting perspective. If you, um, yeah. implications, if you win Iowa, it, it doesn't always help you in New Hampshire, but it does help you farther on that victories in places like Puerto Rico in each of these primaries, especially with California moving, yeah. right. it's going to have the, the ordering effects are going to be even more amplified. Exactly. Absolutely. So let me go to um, a couple of local stories. One, our governor, named the most popular for the last couple of years, mm -hmm. is rejoining the Republican Governors Association. Now he stepped away because there's a little tension between where he stands and where the president stands. They're both in the same party. But he's gone back now. How do you assess um, what do you think he hopes to gain? I guess that's, I mean, that's part of his brand to some extent to be bipartisan, but I'm sure that he, if, or I mean, there has to be some benefit in, in trying to coordinate 
with other Republican governors. Um, I don't think that he wants to be completely outside of that to connecting with other governors. Mm -hmm. Larry Hogan, who's the other very popular, not anti-Trump, but right. the non-Trump. The Maryland guy, right? Yeah, yeah yes. the governor uh, of Maryland, right. Mm -hmm. The non-Trump governor, I guess you could call it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, and there has to be some benefit to that. I think, I think Charlie Baker probably really wanted to stay in the Republican Governors uh -huh. Association because I think there is some benefit to mm -hmm. being in there, learning, networking, that sort of stuff. But I think electorally, even though he is the most popular governor, it was sort of safe for him to pull out yep. because of the association with some of the, the national Republicans here. And so now that those electoral pressures are are gone, mm -hmm. right? He can go right back to where he wanted to be. That's maybe the cynical yeah. me. And they're uh, his guys. Right. Yeah, he's a Republican. He's right. a moderate yeah. Republican right. 100%, but like, he'd rather hang out with his team than our team, right? right? Um, you know, here in Massachusetts, <laughs> right? You know, it's, like, it's, finally it's, gets to hang out with some other people and be like, listen to what happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's it's true. much easier. That's true. Uh, and I think for, for that association, it's good to have a governor from a state that Trump didn't come close to caring. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he can, Baker can come back to Massachusetts and say, hey, I'm bringing bipartisanship to this group. Right. I'm bringing more moderate policy to this group. So, you know, it, not a lot of people are paying attention, but it, it gives him a little cachet here. But what does it mean that the other pressure at now in the state is that the head of the Republican Party is a guy who is completely Mr. Trump, and that's Jim Lyons. Yeah, you know what? I mean, Charlie Baker could do whatever he wants. Like, where's the okay. Republican Party? I mean, I but he's got to address this. I think uh, if yeah. you're in the role, right? Well, no, I, I, I really don't. That's part of think, your constituency. You know, Jeff Deal got crushed, and he was a total, you know, Trump guy as well, running against Elizabeth Warren. I think, uh, by to Shannon's point, you know, uh, Charlie Baker won so handsomely in the most recent election. Republic, the Republican Party, not Republicans in Massachusetts, but the Republican Party structure um, has nowhere to go but Charlie Baker. So I think Charlie Baker gets to you know, walk tall and continue to stand tall. He doesn't need the Republican Party. The Republican Party needs him a lot more in, at the state level. Yeah. All right, well, okay, there are people that you know, very much supported um, former Representative Lyons, and, uh, and they mm -hmm. supported him in this. So yeah. I, think, I think it's going to be a tension point down the road at some point. I think there are those yeah. people, but they're just a very small percentage. Do they feel deeply, and are they loud? Yes. But they, they couldn't carry the day. Deal actually underperformed uh, in his election against Warren. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the data hurts them. Okay. Um, I'm also looking at, the, speaking of lots of people entering a race that is far away, and that's the city council candidates. Alejandra St. Guion de declaring her candidacy. She's been the director of uh, Mayor Marty Walsh's office for immigrant advancement, so is, is known around town. But there's a whole host of people mm -hmm. who've already said, I'm running. Mm -hmm. Some of that well, shakeup happened because Ayanna Presley, of course, left that role and is now in Congress. But what has been observed is that thus far, doesn't appear to be any white men in the group. It's a very, uh, as we, people forget, Boston is majority minority. Mm -hmm. So that would be reflective in that way, but there's never been a city council mm -hmm. that, the one we have now is the most diverse it's mm -hmm. ever been. What do you think? Well, there seems to be a change of the guard, so to speak, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. And so Boston is experiencing what uh, the Democratic Party as a whole is experiencing. It's just Boston's so democratic that I, I, I see this as a, exactly that, reflecting those larger changes, mm -hmm. and I, it, that's a good thing. I was talking to Julia Meja, because she's coming to campus next week to um, pitch internships. 
Uh, and we were just and who having, is she? Uh, she is um, running at large okay. uh, as well, uh, a woman of color, and you know, doing the pitch, and she wants to have paid internships because she recognized unpaid labor. But you know, we just had a sidebar conversation. I've lived in Boston for 11 years, and this isn't new, but the change on the city council, it was all white guys when I moved here, yeah. and now it, it looks like Boston, to your point, and all these at-large people. We're going to have a cool fight, to Shannon's earlier point. <laughs> right. But you know what I, you know what I will say? As cool as this is, you know what doesn't look like the city of Boston or even the state of the state legislature, mm. which is what I happen to study, and it just, uh-huh. um, it, it's a total lack mm-hmm. of competition, right? It's not hard to win some of these races. Down mm. by us, um, one of the representatives lost um, and they, in the primary to a challenger, and I can't remember his name who lost, and the challenger got 1,000 votes, and the, <laughs> the incumbent got 900 votes. You can knock on, right, enough uh-huh. doors to meet 1,000 people you can to give go vote for you. <laughs> yeah. So people start. I think competition is good. It's healthy for our democracy. And mm-hmm. so I'm, it's fabulous to see this, for voters to have a choice of people who <laughs> look like them mm-hmm. um, and who maybe have different experiences to bring to the table. Um, because the research is pretty clear is that people with different backgrounds bring different issues to the table. And while, you know, at the end of the day, bills are voted up or down, the content of those bills and what those bills focus on, it matters who's at the table when those bills are being written. And so it's great for the city council to see this diversity. Um, I'd love to see more of it in all of our state elections. Well, see, now, Shannon, I would think, Shannon Jenkins of UMass Dartmouth, that says more about the pitifulness of the voters are not getting out in those low numbers as opposed to, because it seems to me that the people who have been, particularly the people who've run for the legislature in the last go round, that they really put a lot of intensity into retail politicking. I mean, they knocked on doors. They sure, talked but to people. I mean, how many you know? voters in the state of Massachusetts had a choice in their legislative mm, okay. elections, right? right? I mean, okay. I would I think okay. I, I just, we're, we're working on a book, the Massachusetts <laughs> Politics <laughs> Process. Okay, and right. I was writing about the legislature. Uh-huh. And, and ballparkish, I think like 80% of the candidates had no primary challenge and 90% no, had no general election point. challenge. So why bother to show up if your choice is <laughs> The person on the ballot or no one else? Because that's your job. I do. I do. I'm, I'm I show up every day and I get mad if they don't have my sticker. That's right. But Me I too. get. You know, you yeah. got a, you got a busy day and you don't right, have a right. choice. If you're okay. if you're holding your nose in voting, it's easy to skip. If you're excited about who you can vote for or there, there there's a challenge between two people and you like them both, that's a problem a lot of voters would really love to have. Right. And, okay. and we All saw right. it. I mean, a couple of um, Delio's leadership team lost here in Boston. Yep to Democratic primary challengers, right? Um, it, it can be done because it's mm-hmm. retail okay. politics matter in these state legislative races. And we're worse than the other um, states in New England when it comes to diversity. So, right. you know, it, it's, it's to Shannon's earlier point that we were talking about, we're so blue in Massachusetts. Yeah, you know, We're <laughs> blue in it. a depressing way sometimes. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, I want to squeeze this in. Um, let's first take a listen to this. This is a snippet from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's current Instagram story where she is introducing members of her legislative team while walking between house meetings. I'm here with my legislative team. Here's Ariel and Dan. He's every billionaire as a policy failure on Twitter. All right, I just played that because 
AOC, as she's mm -hmm. known, is a social media whiz. She shares everything mm -hmm. on her Instagram stories. Um, she snaps back on, claps back is correct terminology, on Twitter. Um, but she has discovered, not surprisingly, mm -hmm. that many of her colleagues don't understand Twitter. So she's agreed to teach them. I think it's pretty interesting. What do you guys think? I, I think I, I read somewhere, I heard somewhere, that the, she was co-teaching this with a, a man who had like 30,000 Twitter. Followers. So I presume they learn more from AOC than they did from um, this guy. But Don't do. Right. But I mean, and I think in a certain sense, like we saw this with Beto, I think it takes a certain unique personality mm -hmm. to really be authentic. And I got into a, a debate about this in campus, but everyone was like, everyone should be like that. And I was like, no, no. because not everyone is good no. at that, right? right? And you have to have that personality and that, right? Like, you need to be able to you know, cook with your Instapot and do a story <laughs> or skateboard through a Whataburger, right? right? And you need to do that in real life. You can't yes, just say, if totally. I got on a skateboard oh. and skated through Whataburger, it'd go viral, like, but right, <laughs> right. for the wrong reasons. Right. So, I mean, maybe she can teach them some things, but there's an authenticity there um, is what's really drawing people to her. And so I, I hope that more people can do that, but um, nobody's going to be able to do it quite as well as her because she just is good at it. And there's one other thing. Mm. So she has talent, absolutely, mm. but also she's the foil for the Republicans, right? Mm. Right yes. now, right wing right. media love to put her oh, on they do. for right. all kinds yeah. of things, and she responds in a way that the Democrats, you know, it's like my team, your team, and right. so she she evokes that, and and she does, she can punch back, so yeah. to speak, right? So yeah. people love that. And so, you know, not everybody can do that because, I mean, people could say whatever, but right. in, not in a, in a funny way and so on and so forth. And so the visibility that comes from both sides, it just sort of builds on itself. That's but, very hard to do. Because we can agree that there is serious hateration on, in her direction. Oh, it's yes. just amazing. It, 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 you know? We know why. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, yes, she yeah. is a, a female of color. She's upended things that are surprised by. But I do think that, that, you know, to Louise's point, that there's become this false equivalency. Some on the right are trying to say, she's just like Donald Trump. Yeah. No, no, she's not. No. I mean, yeah. like, she's not uh, attacking particular racial or ethnic groups. She's not um, saying wildly sexist things. She's, she's being clever and so she's uh, not lying right <laughs> correct and you know it, to your other point like you know it, she's good because she she is authentic when she does that no one wants the dad jokes no one right. wants some like <laughs> dad trying to like how do you feel about the in sync like right. a you're 15 years <laughs> over and b you put a the in front right. of it like it works for like right. don't it's like when um right. uh, when they did the facebook hearings yes and they, they had no clue what they were talking well, about that like, was, yes, yes. You, i'm glad you brought that up because what i was going to say just to conclude this is that whether she they learn Twitter or not to me is not as as big a deal as that they get comfortable with understanding how this works. Right. So the next time there's a Facebook <laughs> hearing, they're actually asking <laughs> questions. I mean this for I real. Right. Yeah. That makes sense because uh -huh. everybody's at home is like, what are you talking about? Uh -huh. It made no sense. So at least she can do that. That's mm -hmm. that's a great amount of information she I, shared. I, I saw a, a number the other day that I believe there's more silent generation congressmen than there are millennials. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which yeah. tells you, I mean, that right there. 
Yeah, there you That's go. why you have these Facebook moments, or yeah. right. what are you doing? There you go. Well, I'm happy to have shared these Facebook moments with you three. Oh. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining me. It's always fun. Erin yes. O'Brien is an associate professor of political science at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Shannon Jenkins is a professor of political science at the University of Massachusetts, Dartmouth. And Luis Jimenez is an assistant professor of political science at UMass, Boston. They are all contributors to the Mass Politics Prof blog, which you can visit at masspoliticsprofs.org. Well, that's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show, links to stories we discussed today, and bonus content on the web at wgbh.org news. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Callie Crossley and like us at Facebook.com slash Under the Radar WGBH. Our engineers are Doug Sugarts, John Parker, and Eddie Hickey. Francisca Monahan and Jason Tereski produced this show with help from Emily Shira. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH. WGBH.